you, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, and did you, did you eat one of these? Uh, I, I ate one. What was it? That one. Do you recommend it? Well, you said you don't like, what's the that? Maple. Maple. That's maple. I bet you'd be a blueberry guy. <laughs> oh, I want to swear at you. <laughs> 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 so you go to the complete opposite. You're like, screw this, chocolate straight. <laughs> Yes. Straight. Cho- you look like a blueberry guy. I want to see you. <laughs> Go straight chocolate, then, son of a bitch. And we're back. Ew. On our podcast. On our podcast. Episode 13, I think. Lucky 13? Hey, that's my favorite number. How about that? Lucky 13. 13 weeks in a row of podcastualization. <laughs> I don't know why if I if I like hold it in until I feel like I always have to like blurt out something in the beginning just mm-hmm. to get us going here. So here I go. <laughs> so I sent Pretty Boys shed off. You never even brought it back to like I, I didn't even get to say goodbye. It's gone. Well, that's uh, harsh. Four to six months. I didn't I didn't even sign like paperwork or anything. I know. Four to six months. It's gone. This is prison state sentence. So I sent it to Jeez. I sent it to Klaus Antlers mm-hmm. by or uh, Klaus Taxidermy, whatever. Antlers by Klaus. We'll get it right. We'll give him the, the right yeah credit mm-hmm. words too. I was so frustrated when I sent out just the incompetency of people. It's probably my fault for not. Where'd you go? UPS. I went to USPS. Fail. The post office in my town here mm-hmm. can't even vote by mail. I know. So what I did was I just took the antler. I just mm-hmm. took the antler. I was like, I'll get packaging and stuff there. Mm-mm. Apparently not. They're like, can this go in an envelope? Yeah. So I took it down there and I said, hey, man, you know, how's it going? It's just this guy, like middle-aged guy. And I was like, um, I was like, hey, can you help me get this kind of packaged up? And I needed to send it to this address here in Wisconsin, I think is where they're at. And uh, he's like, he just gave me this weird look. I was like, you guys got boxes here? And he's like, he's like, yeah, I don't know if I have a box that's going to fit that. I was like. Because he's got, like, flat rate box, probably. I don't know what he's got. He, like, just pulls out a thing of stamps. He's like, <laughs> possibly you. <laughs> so he pulls out this box. He's like, it's the biggest one I got. It's, like, this big. <laughs> he's, like, putting the ant on here a couple different ways. He's like, no, got it. It's not going to work. <laughs> and Good try. Where I got it's not no. going to work. I was like, he's like, well, he's like, yeah, I don't have a box. So I was like, mm-hmm. I was like okay. But I was like, he's like, um, he's like, you know, uh, you can go down to the state store, which is down the street there. And he's like, you can typically they put boxes in the back, like the liquor store, the liquor store. I was Not like, bad idea. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I run down there. So I did that. <clears throat> I took the antler with me and, uh, I went down. <clears throat> he said, just <clears throat> look behind the state store. I was like, all right, uh-huh. there's nothing there. There's Almost just, people I, probably I did peek in the dumpster, peek in the dumpster. There's yeah, nothing in there. That's scary. It must've been trash day. I went around to the front and I actually went in and I asked them, I said, Hey, guy at the post office said I should ask you like if you have a box. And they're like, you're not the first person that has asked today. Actually. Wow. And yes, How here, about that? And yes, here we have a box. They gave me a Jim beam, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, so I took it back to the post office and, and it fit, it was the antler fit in there. And, uh, so I approached this guy again yep. with these two things. And now I have an antler and a box. I said, Hey, can you just, it's kind of fragile. I was like, can you just wrap it? Make Pull sure. stamps out again. He goes, I don't have anything to wrap it in. I was like, bubble wrap? I don't know. Bubble wrap? And he's like, oh, well, yeah. He's like, there's some over there. They have like the station where you can do yep, it yourself. Bye. 
it's like five dollars for <laughs> like little bubble wrap that I can tell is not gonna cover. So before I opened this thing, I was like, you know what, man, just have like, pa- like newspaper or something. He did find some newspaper for me, so he had a, a big stack of newspaper. So I crumpled it this all. Is the up. hardest this guy's had to work in a long time at this point, and he's clearly not. Happy. Happy about it. Yeah. Which is making me not happy about it because it's your job, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Making me nervous. Like, the fact that you're entrusting this stranger with such a precious tool. That's worse. Oh, Jesus. I know. Um, I have this box of Jim Beam now stuffed with newspaper with the antler settled inside of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he's like, uh, I give it to him at that point. He weighs it. Is like 15 bucks to send it off. And he's like, uh, well, he's like, I can't actually mail boxes that have alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> like on the outside of it. I was like, what are you <laughs> like, did you send me down you to the liquor send store? Me to the liquor store. He's like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have to cover the whole thing. So he gets out this stack of envelope, big uh, post-it envelope. He doesn't have brown paper. Like, apparently not. My God. Gets out. I'm like, dude, this guy must live with his mom. Again, he just pulls out the thing of stamps, and he's like, huh? <laughs> so he covers the whole thing, literally, like the sloppiest looking box I've ever seen. Just so, like, it's like he cut out this thing, and then like taped it to one side of the box. He's cut out another one, taped it to the other side of the box. Then starts taping over the paper without taping the box. Like, the box is still open, so like, if the paper came off, I was like, no, 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 dude. I said... I said, mm. it's it's pretty fra- clearly has never wrapped a Christmas present. I'm like, life. dude, this is yeah, pretty important to me. I said, can we just? I'm sorry. Like, can you make sure the box is taped? And finally, we got it right. The last thing that made me uncomfortable was he he put, you know, my address, paper, and uh, the little note that I left for those guys to say my my name, my contact information, and the work that I was having done on it on this little clear plastic baggie on the outside, of which the flap is just flapping in the wind. I'm like, dude, and I literally just like went like this and pulled the thing out. I said, hey, can we just like just get some tape on that? I did stay until like I made sure the whole thing was properly wrapped and stuff. But like the whole thing took me 45 minutes to get this thing sent off. And the likely scenario that I feel like is number one, we should probably check behind the liquor store in that dumpster because that box might be in there because he's just like, yeah, here, I'll send it off. I do have a tracking number. Has it departed? This is this is it. a problem. No, it's fine. It'll get there. We we successfully delivered these via UPS, yet you felt the need to have confidence in our United States Postal Service to go and do this. Makes no sense. It'll get there. Just if not, like, go find it. <laughs> Talk about needle in the fucking haystack. Well, I know who I'm holding accountable if it doesn't get there. <laughs> and it ain't me. Yeah, that guy's long gone at this point. He's on the run. Yeah. I was pretty let down with our postal service at that point. And you weren't before? To be honest. Listen, dude, there's <clears throat> mail that's still arriving from postmark November to people at this point. You know, I almost snapped on them. I almost was mm-hmm. like, well. Well, what? I mean, but postal service workers, we mm, don't poke that bear. No. No. The only reason I didn't was because it's my local post office. Like, I have to go there again. If it was some random, I would have been like, what good are you? I feel like the next time you're going to walk in, he's just going to pull the shade down. Be like, yeah, no, we're closed. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah. No survey say. I got that. Is that Spanish for service? <laughs> survey <say>. Sounds right. <laughs> I sent that off, and, uh, yeah, hopefully we get it back at some point. Four to six months. It's a long time. Well, I did the math. That'll be... July. Yeah, sounds right. Okay. 
July sometime. So we'll get that back and it'll, yeah, it'll look nice. Hopefully when it's done and th- those guys do just amazing work. So. Yeah, they're great. It's the right decision. Put it on a big eight. Well, you have a big eight thing for it, right? Yeah, it's actually uh, or a rack hub. It's rack hub. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I do want to get whenever we get that back. We'll have TJ on at some point and mm-hmm. give him an opportunity to talk about those antler mount. I think they're super cool. The way that I've got this antler mounted or that I had it before we left here is I've got a, a print that I just got from Vista Print. It was a picture that Pat took of the river bottom that mm-hmm. this buck lives in, mm-hmm. and I've got the antler, the single antler mounted right next to it, and I just think it's it's kind of like a shrine. You just pull yourself into that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is spin in my office chair. And there it is. There it is. He's still down there. Sometimes I actually angle our Skype meetings mm-hmm. so that it's, I can see it in the background so that it looks, it's the classic over the shoulder where I'm like, yeah, no, I'm definitely listening. But really what I'm looking at is my background mm-hmm. and the and stuff. Uh, <laughs> there's a chance that, that he was that big buck that we got on that stealth cam up by the, I mean, that was a big deer though. I think it's, I think it's Spider-Man. I think that's Spider-Man. I mean, that was substantial basis coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I know, I know the viewers can't see it, but we did get another picture of a buck at um at the ants in Kentucky. Oh, really? Looks like probably a three year old. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. Pretty decent. Yep. I'm be sitting in that blind in a couple of days, trying to shoot a bird in the face. Are you going to? Are you gonna? Um, well, I'm gonna run and gun. I mean, if they're not nearby, I won't. But unless the kids are with me, because I can't hike them up the mountain. Are they hunting or are you hunting? They have first dibs. Okay. But if they default, yes, I will hunt. I'm sure Harlan will go. Cool. That's the plan. Thinking about it. Yeah. We'll see. Part of discussion this morning, I don't know. If time is time is going to allow me to. But I'd like to get out to... I'd, I'd want to hunt Bob's. Mm-hmm. I'd love for us to be able to go hunt Bob's together. Even if it was with I think we've got kids. time for that. Even if it's not opening weekend, even if it's during the week, we just go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. Well, I think topic for today is kind of uh, guided by the fact that we're going to have Jeff Sturgis on the podcast mm-hmm. next Whitetail week. Habitat Solutions, Jeff Sturgis, next uh-huh. week. So um, figure we would kind of refresh ourselves on what little we do know about food plots and just um, maybe talk about that for a bit. And so mm-hmm. we can get the real you know, education next week from, from Jeff. And well, I mean, coming out of a big one, if anybody hasn't listened to it yet, go back to last week's and, and listen to kind of the episode with Bill Winky. A lot of information there just from a, from a hunting standpoint, from a, from a hunting business standpoint. Um, you know, Bill's just a wealth of knowledge. Again, we appreciate him, him spending, you know, a large chunk of his morning with us on that. Um, but man, what a cool, what a cool thing to like really wrap our hands around and, you know, be able to hear it kind of straight from the horse's mouth of like where he's been, you know, and what he's doing and where he's going. And mm. I think that's a cool thing. We should send him some gear. Yeah. I think that would be we really good. get in the habit of just mm-hmm. yeah, hooking some people up with our stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then having Jeff coming in next week will be really good because, you know, Bill's one of these guys that we said is really like that godfather of like digital hunting shows. Right. Whereas, you know, I would say there's a lot of them, but there's probably five really good ones at this point or successful ones. Mm -hmm. And Jeff is one of those five, you know, who, especially in the last 12 to 24 (laughs) months. Don't forget about Weston. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, we're I know. Yeah, we're just getting started. We're here. just getting. Started. We're not in a rush. Yeah, but in the next, you know, in the last twelve to twenty-four months, Jeff's channel again on a YouTube standpoint, which we hear Bill's mindset around YouTube, and and you know, not necessarily that it's not favorable, but wasn't part of his business strategy. Jeff's business strategy is very much YouTube oriented um, with consulting and things like that. And really what I'm excited to get in with Jeff next week is um, we can talk about it here just because we all deal with different properties is Jeff sees probably more properties than anyone else I know on an annual basis. Like literally will binge, you know, 20 to 30 consulting visits in a month in a state. So he's looking at 15 to 30 different properties, you know, and when you have that much case study kind of history, I think it makes you better in your advice. It makes you better in your own hunting and your own management. Mm. Um, and so that's a really cool aspect, complete opposite of a bill who literally did everything on his property, one property. <clears throat> um, so it'll be cool to kind of contrast those two and, you know, see how it even applies to, to how we hunt and how we manage our properties. Yeah. It's just interesting how different people cling to dis different aspects of hunting in general, but in this case, deer hunting, like, you know, even from Bill to Jeff, um, you know, I think Bill is passionate about the land management aspect. For sure. And uh, he certainly did a lot of projects on his property, but compared to somebody like <clears throat> a Jeff who lives and breathes the property management aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I'll bet you he'll tell us next week that he enjoys that portion of, portion of it far, far more than the hunting itself. Yeah, I would agree. And it's funny because like I see like even from a standpoint of like timber stand improvement, Bill was a, I mean, every piece of that property that he hunted had been in TSI at some point, which is very much like what you did in your place in Ohio, mm -hmm. you know, and I know that's a critical piece of what Jeff does, but if you talk to Jeff about just overall strategy food plots warm season grasses um you know crop rotations like he's looking at it from a a bigger picture so you're probably right like i think he his fruits of all of that labor are the hunt whereas bill really is mainly focused on the hunt and then he needs to do this other stuff just to make sure that, that succeeds yeah so it'll be good um you know a couple guys to get on the podcast right out of the gate and and help us kind of you know hold on to some things that we're even doing on different properties that we either have leases on or, or own. Um, oh yeah. There's definitely a lot we can learn from a food plot standpoint. Cause I mean, we've had some good success. I mean, we combined between, and we'll get Weston on here in just a minute, mm -hmm. but, but between the three of us, we've all been planting food plots for, I mean, you, you more than us, but yeah, it's cause I'm 20, all 30, yeah, 30 combined years of, yep. you know, experience like mm -hmm. food, food plot. Experience. We've been planting food plots anyways from, yep. we've done soybeans, um, you know, all the way from, your, your, your standard like yeah clover pots. brassicas into beans into mm -hmm. you know more of the the cereal grains and stuff like that which i think weston knows well and that's even so this discussion with the three of us and then even leading into next week with jeff because it'll be the three of us with jeff is i'm kind of interesting to hear everybody's <clears throat> take on different things because i know mm -hmm. jeff is a big annual guy yeah. like he not that he won't plant perennials though i i don't ever hear him really promote it too much he's a big volume a biomass annual guy, whether that's summer or fall, um, yeah. which is a lot different than for, well, and it just depends on when you're hunting, but like for here on the mountain, like I don't have any crops around. There are no crops. So like, yeah, I love to plant soybeans and I'll probably try it this year. Um, but like I need to have clover and, and chicory and alfalfa because there, there isn't anything else. 
one thing that I think is cool about Jeff's job and just, you know, in respect to his, like how he likes to advise people, it is subjective. Like, sure. like there are parts of it that's like, hey, this works, period. Like this is how you get a food plot to grow. Yep. But when you put it through the lens of, well, this is how I like to hunt or this is, you know, my situation is different because of this. I think I'm sure Jeff takes, does his best to look through the the lenses of the landowner himself, but it's subjective at the end of the day. Yeah. There, there is no right or wrong necessarily. Yeah. You know, it, it all is catered based on your goals and when you hunt and what you're hunting or what your goals are from a hunting standpoint. You know, the other cool thing from a Jeff standpoint, because he is so rooted in this, you know, obviously we use it and he uses it. We're both, we're all deer grow guys is at the end of the day too. And so understanding, you know, cause I will say like when I started planting food plots, like I just, you know, dropped a disc or a drag and went to town and I didn't fertilize. I didn't lime. I didn't do any of that stuff. And most of my food plots look like shit, you know, at the end of the day. Um, and there's other factors involved in that, but yeah, it'll be cool because it's one of those things to your point is I think almost everything about food plots is subjective. There's very little things that are happening around food plots besides like if you have no rain, you have no food plot. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, you know, wide open. Do you disc it? Do you no-till it? Do you drag? Do you just frost seed? Like, you know, I don't know. One of the things I'm, I'll be interested to talk to Jeff about is He's, he's, I think he's one of those guys that, um, really is promoting the idea of, of holding deer on small tracts of ground. Yes. And I, not that I think his intentions are, are wrong in that at all. I think he's trying to appeal to an audience of small landowners or people that have permission on small tracts of ground. And mm-hmm. definitely there should be content for those types of people. Absolutely. I, I'm curious to know if he, like what he actually thinks is true in mm-hmm. terms of the ability to hold holding versus using. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. Cause I used to, I used to subscribe to that in some capacity. I'm like, man, I, you know, I can really do this work and hold deer on a 40 acre track. Mm-mm. And I've, I've ceased to believe that, mm-hmm. you know, definitely they'll use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I well, even less than let's call Weston in. <clears throat> yeah, let's, let's get Weston. Well, here. mainly because he is a, he is an example of that. I, I don't know what it is. Five acres or something that like his grandma owns or that he hunts and he planted a big food plot around. Okay. Uh, did he fall asleep? <laughs> he's, he's sleeping. Hey, hey! <laughs> sorry, Weston. He's muted. We got a little, yeah, we got, we got him. We got, we went too far down the rabbit hole. Uh, so Weston, one of the things that we were talking about here is like, um, just we're we're kind of leading into where Jeff's going to be here next week but you know Jared was kind of talking about the fact that you know one of the things that Jeff um uh, kind of backs at least for a good point of it is the this the side of ability to hold bucks on smaller tracks and I know that you've got a property in Indiana that is what 5 acres is that what it is uh no it's it's like 10 or 20 now it used to be 80 and then it got chopped down chopped down and it's one of those ones that I know you consistently see or encounter or have mature bucks on, mm-hmm. but I think we all know that you're not necessarily holding them. No, on no, that. They're, they're, they're passing through and it's, it's kind of more cover oriented for sure. Um, but it does have some, some smaller food plots on it and stuff that I'm, I'm able to do some stuff with. You give me a little bit more of a lesson. Thank you. Did you, um, is that where you planted your food plot? <clears throat> Yeah. So that's kind of been that, that small, it's a half acre plot that, um, 
I did the the bean fence on mm-hmm. the standing beans. And then, uh, I've done a lot of different things. I've tried a lot of different things down there. It's just, uh, it's actually something that I just went down and filmed the other day where it's just like a, you know, any opening that you, any opening on any property, I, it feels like we're deer hunting. You're going to, going to naturally call a kill plot, sure. but it's like, it doesn't really work. as a good kill plot. That's one of those, and I've, one of those buzzwords that gets kind of, yeah, yeah, abused a little bit. It's a buzzword, but I thought that would be a, a key thing in holding deer. And, and I've, I'm really just now figuring out what needs to be planted to hold those deer at, at what time frames that I need to be, you know, having deer on that property and, and registering what's going on on it. So well, I think from a kill plot standpoint, like <clears throat> it's two things. Number one is what do you have in the area? Like if we think about your Ohio farm, you've got big cropland, you have bigger food plots. If you go in and create a quarter acre, you know, brassica plot, yes, that's a kill plot, right? In my, in my opinion. Uh, what Weston's talking about, or even like behind my house, like I went in and did, uh, and uh, basically a one hour alfalfa plot, uh, last weekend or whatever. Um, there, there are no other food plots. There are no crops around it. So like, even though size wise, it's a quarter acre and I'd be like, yeah, this is a kill plot. Like it's also a destination food plot. Cause there, there is literally nothing else that those deer are going to besides native brows and acorns. Um, so it, it, it is, it is a buzzword in that standpoint. Cause I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I can kill deer on any food plot. Um, but what's the purpose of it though? Yeah. Yeah. I've always got, um, just confusion around or or just not the fullest understanding around like those terms, Mm -hmm. um, from a destination. You know what? I think Jeff just did a video on like literally a couple days ago, Jeff did a video talking about this. Um, yeah. I've got some decent sized food plots, some as big as three, four acres Mm -hmm. of of beans. And, uh, I mean, I've hunted all of them, uh, in some capacity over the past five, you know, four or five years that that we've been planting those and stuff. And I've never once, um, got the impression, whether from hunting or from running trail cameras on them, that they were spending significant amount of time in any of those plots. Mm Mm-hmm. Where I do like in the big ag fields, like I'll get pictures that you're two, three times throughout the course of a night that would indicate to me that the deer is actually just spending most of the, you know, midnight hours in this bigger field. I I really do think that it seems like the size and location of uh, some of these destination food plots are as if not more important than what's actually planted in them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have to factor in that, like that kill plot is in the center of some extremely dense, like early successional habitat everywhere. But then everywhere around that is just straight timber. And then you start getting into some like hay fields on either side. Yeah. And then up top, you've got some ag and then down low, you've got ag, but a different thing there where they have uh, cover crops. Mm -hmm. The other, the other place doesn't do cover crops. This place does. So the deer naturally want to go that way. Like even during the hunting season, it just seems like they're always filtering this way. So that kill plots a visit. I think that's the big thing is, is, is you start to think about it's all deer behavior, right? I mean, at the end of the day, when a deer gets out of its bed beyond like a rutting standpoint, like there is a purpose for them to get up, to move, to go somewhere, to then come back to a bedding, you know, barring it's undisturbed. Um, in a lot of cases, if we think about spring, summer, and even winter time, you know, take the fall out of it, it is to literally make a round through to a quote unquote destination area. Right. And maybe it's different at different times of the day or different times of the year for sure. 
but they are going towards something to then feed and then make their way back, right? That's the patterns that happen. It's food to bed, food to bed, food to bed. Different than in the fall when you start to get natural um, mass dropping, whether it's acorns or whatever, you know, these deer start to meander more and they maybe never reach a destination area. Um, it, you know, in fact, they may never even visit that, especially if it's a big bean field that's been picked. Like what the, what the hell do they even have to go out there for, right? We see this in Kansas all the time. You know, if it's a bean field that's picked and there's no winter wheat coming up, there's no deer coming out. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for them to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from a behavioral standpoint, we used to do this when we consulted. It was like guys would look at an opening and they'd say, hey, like this would be a great spot for a food plot. The initial kind of backlash on that would be like, well, what's your deer pattern look like? Right. Because if the deer aren't naturally moving towards that area, like I don't I by placing that there, I could change their pattern. But it's also forced. Like, why can't I put it somewhere where they're actually moving through or towards? You know, that, and that's the difference. That kill, the kill plot that I was just actually filming, and I was, I was kind of talking about this because, you know, before, like, it used to be just the old CRP field, and I did a lot of, uh, like, hinge cutting and things, just kind of experimenting. I was making specific beds and different things. Yep. Um, but it's also, like, those cedars are getting just tall enough where a deer could lay down and see, like, if you're walking the plot from even 100 yards away almost. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just that – it's not, a, like, a browse layer by any means, but you could see – through yeah. and um i've got you know that kill plot and they're betting right on top of it and i i can't get in there it's really hard to get in there other than using a creek but uh now and ditches, the, the everything's mm-hmm. everything's changing a little bit because now for the first time ever i'm able to plant a two and a half or three acre plot mm-hmm. that's gonna be able to be somewhat of a destination or actual you know feeding type food plot you mentioned those uh cedars something i've always been curious about curious about wesson is um, or maybe, you know, the answer to this. So, and for anybody that doesn't know, Weston did an internship with Grant Woods, mm-hmm. a growing deer. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of, um, you know, Grant does a lot of taking those cedars out of the equation. He mm-hmm. wants to like cut them all down and burn it and do just purely yeah. early successional, I think is mm-hmm. the objective, but yeah. I never fully understood that. Cause like, it seems like, you know, cedars are great, especially thermal cover. I, I know Jeremy and I found two of the biggest sheds we found in Kansas, like right in this mm-hmm. a cedar patch. Essentially. Yeah. Well, I mean, Illinois, we were walking right through some yeah. of that stuff and we, it was like, and I, and I get it from a standpoint of like, that's the majority of this property is just that dogwood, red bud. Um, and then like some dense cedar. I'm talking like, yeah, it's old pasture ground that has yeah. now been removed from cattle and this is what's left. Well, right. There's no 20 year old Oaks growing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the important thing is like, it's, uh, it's really good, like summer, you know, shade, like mm-hmm. they're going to bed in there. It's really cool. And uh, it's got like moss yeah. underneath of it, but it's just, a, it's just diversity in habitat. That's like, what I'm it not, is, man. I'll leave it alone. But yeah, Grant would, he, you know, he'd have a cedar glade. He'd take everything off and then they just, I mean, they, they continually burn, burn the whole it. Thing. And well, it's, it's the, it's the fact that basically, and we get this in the South too, and in the pine plantations and stuff that it's, it's literally what we call like a biological desert underneath there there is nothing i see there's nothing growing like from a bedding from a diversity standpoint of a property i think it's valuable to have that thermoregulation cover whether it's summer or winter but if that's all you got then you need something else well yeah i guess that makes sense because like where we're at is like i don't have a whole lot of pine trees like there's a couple of ridges here and there Mm -hmm. and basically wherever the turkeys are roosting is where you're yeah that's it Um, but the other thing that that those cedars are doing is like that's 
the most, that's the safest cover they can actually move through. Yep. Mm-hmm. So where my destination food plot's going to eventually be, and then where the small kill plot is, it's all cedar around that. So that pressure that's on the, or, you know, them just not wanting to go out in that open field, they end up cutting through. And, uh, you know, every time I'd hunt, they cut behind me because they'd be wanting to go through that thick cedar. I can't see them unless I'm ground level and I'm seeing their feet basically. Sure. And, uh, so now I'm trying to essentially flip it on them and, and get that destination food source to draw them out and not have to be so deep into, mm-hmm. into yeah. that cover. But. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, you know, I know looking back on some of my hunts, I had a spot on public land in Missouri, uh, that was literally like a little wildlife opening in a cedar patch that was right along the edge of, uh, an Oak Ridge. And like, though, I, I think I killed one doe out of that. The amount of bucks that would pass through that opening during the rut during daylight hours, especially was off the charts. Like some of the biggest deer that I had had on camera were just, and it was an old strip mine, public land piece of ground. So there wasn't a lot of big timber. There wasn't a lot of thick stuff. It was just open some ridges and then these cedar patches and like what looks like high grass. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, from a, from again, from a holding standpoint, yeah, some beds in there, but I think a lot of those deer are still just passing through. Um, and it really comes down. If you start to look at those kind of areas, the, the hardest part that I've ever had, and I had a couple guys do it. I've tried personally is, you know, the trying to establish, uh, a food plot in those cedar areas, right? Because those cedars are a very, um, aggressive species and, and leach into the soil toxins and stuff. That's why a lot of times you have biological deserts besides mm. the, the actual, um, I didn't know that. sunlight side of things. Right. And so like these areas, like if you do soil tests and stuff, they're like all over the place. It's not, so it's, it's hard to do anything. And the other side of it is even when Grant and these guys, and, and I did it at Bill's place too. I went in and was like, Hey Bill, I'm going to cut these cedars down. He's like, yeah, knock yourself out. There, there's not because Plus eaters. yeah there's not a ton of um because they're kind of isolated in themselves the seed bank right which is literally when you cut down a tree in a hardwood forest or whatever that sunlight hits the ground that seed bank is what brings up all this new vegetation and stuff well in these cedar areas because they've been biological deserts usually for you know decades uh, there's not a ton of stuff in the seed bank like you if should anything, get it's usually like a, soft, a maple. Yeah. And maybe you get some green briar <laughs> or some sort of, you know, um, blackberry or something, which is awesome. But like, it's not going to be, yeah, yeah, multiflora. It's not going to be nearly as much as you would in a hardwood area where you've got, you know, a bunch of acorns sitting dormant waiting for sunlight to hit. The moment you open that up, all this new hardwood regeneration starts yeah. and it's thick and it's browse heavy. We got a chunk on my farm that's, uh, probably. 40 ish year old white pines. Mm-hmm. And at one time, cause I've recently planted white pines and I think they're doing a good job of being kind of a, mm-hmm. a windbreak and some thermal cover and just some, some diversity is why I planted them. But these ones that were planted long ago are not doing anything, um, that I can tell from a habitat standpoint, like they're just wasted acres. I can't get my dad to cut them cause you know, mom likes how they look, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but Aesthetically. If, yeah, if I had it my way, I would, I'd probably clear cut those I'd clear cut them and yep. I don't know, ideally run a fire through it, but I don't know. I kind of convinced when, uh, when I was up there visiting with you guys, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, man, I tried my hardest to sell your you mom did. on a fire I know you and did. I pitched her the fact that like all these wildflowers are going to pop back up. I thought she was like right there, but then I think the threat of fire and her house is, holding her back. it is sketchy, man. We've, yeah, we've had some close calls with fire. Yeah. Isn't it a log cabin? Yes. No. Well, 
inside. Yeah. There's enough. There's enough lacquer. It'll go up. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, it's flammable. Yeah, uh, I mean, but it is. It's it's that's the kind of stuff that you look at. Um, so I'll take a turn on this, you know. And Wes, and I don't know how you from how familiar you are with this place, but um, like I met with the landowner this week of the property I hunt up on the mountain, and I'm finally gonna make my my move on that central plot that you and I have been talking about, Jared. Telling you, man. And so, essentially, like the one next to the clear cut, and then like the corner, and yeah. where that buck was hanging out at, with yeah. the blind. Yeah. Okay. okay. And so I'm going to, and it's just thick, thatch, nasty grass. Like it, it's rough. So I'm gonna go, and uh, probably in the next two weeks, I'm gonna drop a nuclear bomb on it, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna chemically burn that thing to a T. I, I would really, although he hates fire, that's why this is coming up. I would really, in a perfect scenario, because it's so thick, is I would nuke the heck out of it chemically, and then I would ring myself a fire break, and I would burn that because I'm going to try to establish beans in there in May. Um, I'll go for it. I don't know. That's the way to do it, is if you torch it, then go put a fire break <laughs> in. Oh, dude, that sucker will burn off in half hour. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that's my strategy. I don't know if I, bur if I do a ring and I like, I can do it. It's, it's not that big. It's open. It's not going to go anywhere. What is it like an acre and a half? Yeah. Um, but that would give me a clean slate to then come in, uh, and establish those beans. I've got a call to packer out there now. Oh, sick. Um, critical. So, yeah. So get that established plot, start the hell out of it. Um, and I think again, I picked up that new sprayer this year too. Yep. Uh, so I have two Same sprayers I now. Oh, that reminds, I got to do some TLC on mine. My sprayers should be coming. I, so I ordered that new one, that new Fimco from Forestry Suppliers. It's a giant, 60-gallon. 60, 60 it's got 14-inch tires on it. It's literally the exact one we've got. So I did. I have that old pull behind, which is a piece of garbage. It's still a Fimco, but it's just the guy beat the hell out of it before I bought it from him. So I cut the wheels off of it, and I can slide it in the bed of my Ranger, and it hangs off just perfectly in the back. So mm. I'm going to use that as my my roundup glyphosate chemical burner Does it have a boom on it yep and then i'm going to use my other one why? for for deer grow and stuff why i'm lazy and i don't like to clean tanks it's so easy no i don't like to I, do it. Issue. I think i think my little backpack spare is sounds like going it down. sounds like more work mm -mm. no because that way I'll just always have a chemical tank and then I'll always have a deer grow tank. Oh, you're just going to leave it in there permanently. Yep. You still have to clean the tank out. Well, yeah. But I don't I don't like to just mix back and forth. Because a lot of times, like, if I spray deer grow, I'll have plot start left out. Like, because I'm not going to use it all. You'd be all right. I got all the time. What do you do with it then? Rinse it out. Well, no, I don't want to waste it. I want to use it on the next plot. Oh, you have left over. Yeah, yeah, Oh. So that's why, no, yeah. So I I measure. You don't. Measure twice, spray once. Yeah. I'm just going Ooh. straight concentrate. It's fine, dude. <laughs> we could probably have a whole conversation about the, the math and stuff involved with, like, figuring out a spray. I remember when I first, it took me years to figure out, like, how much liquid to put in my sprayer and oh how my fast God. to go. And, like, I got all these calculations in my head about how fast I need to go and what my coverage you look like area Zach is going to be. like coming down the escalator yeah. and hangover. It's like. At <laughs> some point, you just have to say. You just have to do kind of a test. And what I figured out was, regardless of what my sprayer rate is, basically at the speed at which I'm comfortable, which is about five miles an hour, maybe four or five miles an hour, my um, my sprayer's putting out 17 gallons to the acre mm -hmm. is where I'm at. Yeah, that makes sense. 
And so that's it. I just need to figure out like, so as long as you can cover an acre. Yeah. So based on that calculation, I basically say, okay, if I have one acre, I need seven, it's actually 17 and a half, 17 and a half gallons Mm -hmm. of liquid in my container. Mm -hmm. Uh, what is it? Two at three ounces per, for glyphosate per acre. Glyphosate. glyphosate? Yeah. Three. Not gallon. Yeah. No. Yes. <laughs> That's the nuclear bomb I'm dropping. It's been a year since I've done this. So I have to like remind myself <laughs> every year. Never, too. No, nothing ever grew again. Three, <laughs> yeah. Three quarts per acre and 17 and a half gallons of yeah. total liquid per acre, five miles per hour. And I'm, and I'm good. Do you remember, do, did you do those calculations when you were in school? Lesson for wildlife? Oh I, yeah. And we had to do all that and we went to a herbicide class and, um, yeah, that was like the tests. <laughs> Dude, I remember, <laughs> I remember going up. through and doing this stuff, right? And then, so like the first time I planted a food plot, it was like, all right, like I had same thing. I was like spreadsheets, calculations, you know, watching my RPMs or mile per hour. Uh, like I had it all down. Like two weeks later, I come back, nothing's dead. I'm like, screw this, you know, mm-hmm. nuclear bomb mm-hmm. gone. And it's just yeah. like, it, you know. And it is like those things are. <laughs> it's like you guys put water in your glyphosate. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you no, know, I, how, that plot I just sprayed, I nuked the heck out of well, it because I just—it's a backpack sprayer. It's just, so critical when whether you're chemically killing or if we're talking about um, like plot starter, plot boost, and deer grow, uh, any any kind of spray opportunity like that. Like I, my big issue recently has been uh, essentially the guy that has been doing some of the spraying and mowing on the property I hunt. I don't know what he's using, but it ain't it ain't killing things. Let's put it that way. So he'll spray. I'll have everything timed, and I, you know, especially in the fall, like you have a window. It's gonna rain here. I need to get my plot in, and I'll go there, and it's it's not dead. Well, if I don't if I don't disc and plant, like I may miss the window for the next three weeks, and you know we're shit out of luck. So it's just so critical. I'm not saying that you do have to go out there and totally nuke this thing, but you know, just make sure what you're applying is, is per the recommendations at least. Uh, and you're taking your time because the last thing you want to do is waste all your time spraying two weeks, have everything ready to plant and come back. And it's not dead because mm-hmm. then you're not getting anything to grow. It's going to be a grass mess. And with a backpack sprayer and like just a little hand seeder, because that's usually what I'm working with. I always go overkill. I yeah. go overkill on my seeding rates. I go overkill on the, you know, mixture rates. I go overkill on plot start just because I know I'm just Wow, your dad goes wildly over. spraying. Your dad everywhere. goes overkill on <laughs> seating rights, doesn't he? <laughs> a little yeah, bit. Big. I so think about these uh, donuts in here. Eventually, I'm gonna grab. I already ate one. I know you did. This year, I'm I'm gonna have to just because I know my backpack sprayer is slowly going downhill. It's just so old and the straps are breaking. But I'm gonna have to pick up an ATV sprayer for the yeah. first time this year. <laughs> Dude, my, my game changer. My problem with the backpack, because that's what I still do. Well, the that alfalfa plot I planted behind the house, which for, for the record, like I really don't think that's gonna grow. I mean, it's like an old log landing, and alfalfa is probably the most finicky plant that that you have. But you know, what the hell? Yes. We'll give it a, give it a shot. Um, although Harlan told me it was growing yesterday, it's probably weeds, but that mm-hmm. sounds right. Um, you know, when I I've got two back, so I've got I I just have this. Maybe it's OCD a little bit. I keep them separate. I have a backpack sprayer for chemicals and I have a backpack sprayer for deer grow. Uh, and I do clean them out, but I still keep it. And I walk in and one has Roundup on it and the other one doesn't. And I'm pretty sure for whatever reason, just in this sequence of buying them, my plot start one is the one with Roundup. But then I always like walk in the shed and I'm like, yeah. Do you want to have something real funny? Kind of unrelated. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something like, well, I wouldn't have put, you're growing a roundup sprayer just like oh yeah i wouldn't have done this 
Margie and I got in a fight last night about things we would or would not have done. Not really, but we were like, why? Well, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have said that. And she's <laughs> like, well, I definitely, if you had said that, I would have felt this way. Wow, that's very forward thinking. It's like a metaphorical fight about things that we would or would not have said based on our knowledge of each other. That's what happens when she gets a day off. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of funny. But yes. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong. Yeah, keep it separate if you keep it separate. Dude, I I just, I have done so much walking around food plots that mm-hmm. I just have come to despise it. Like, I'm like, man, if I can, I've literally, yeah. I've just like almost ruined four wheelers getting them to a point. And I'd prefer to do that than actually just to do it. Well, my hard part is like, um, the behind the house, isn't it? But a lot of my plots are like, it's rough terrain mm-hmm. to get to versus you've got farm ground and mm. most of mine can be accessed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, I'm navigating to get to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, you got that ranger now. Which I is know, man, the trick. That's it. I'm going to nuke that thing and I'm going to spray with that. And yeah. If you have the right tools for the job, plant food plots is not hard, but if mm-hmm. you don't, it can be extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. And we've done that. I mean, when we did buck advisors back in the day, I took that old cedar, <laughs> I had a little bit of an opening, but it wasn't. And then I would, I would actually cut and then Jessica would drag the cedars out but, or if they're <laughs> drag them out together. And then we ended up, and it turned out to be a little clover plot, but again, it was kind of like hard to hunt in that cedar stuff. I've had really good success with my plot. I mean, Jared and I talk about this probably every fall. Like uh, in the last two years, it's just been brutal, man. The weather just has not played out right. For those fall plots. We've been getting grouted out in August. We got, well, last year we got like a ton of rain. And it killed killed off gardens. It killed off, like it was just brutal. And then all of a sudden, major drought and then like yeah. i planted my fall plots and there was no there was no yeah. rain to yeah. germinate i had mine started because i planted early last year like late july hit a couple good rains plots were coming up brassicas looked awesome oats were coming up and then <laughs> drought and it yeah. just see i i got gone. to it late because i went to like jeff talks about you know the 200 pounds of rye per acre mm-hmm. so i just i went that route and um the only part of the plot that was germinated was the shade side. And it was just because mm-hmm. there was a little bit more moisture and I there was like well. literally a line where the shade line was. And it was just I think that, crazy. I think the last year, um, and we talked about this, I think it was 2018, 2018. I remember my brassicas in the fall were two and a half foot tall, lush. I mean, it was, we had all of it perfect. And then the last two years just torched, Yeah, you know, and that's tough. Well, and, and again, so to counter that and, and, Wes and Jared and I were kind of talking about this before we brought you on, but you know, I, I know from you need a donut. I'm like, no. Nope. Um, we talk about from a, from a strategy of annuals, perennials, fall annuals, summer annuals. I know Jeff is very big on annuals and biomass. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you, did you eat one of these? Uh, I, I ate one. What was it? That one. Do you recommend it? Well, you said you don't like what's that? Maple. Maple. That's maple. I bet you'd be a blueberry guy. <laughs> oh, I want to swear at you. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to the complete opposite. You're like, screw this, chocolate straight. <laughs> straight. So cho- you look like a blueberry guy. I want to see you. <laughs> go straight chocolate then, son of a bitch. This is um, yeah, sorry, Weston. Cool. Um <laughs> But yeah, from an annual and perennial and, and fall and summer annuals, like Jeff is very much on biomass and annuals. For where I hunt, like I don't have, there are no crops. Like I'm going to try to establish some beans, but man, 
uh, I can picture it already, which is kind of exciting, but like, there's just going to be a, like a mower of deer to just come and just destroy all my beans. Um, Shoot them. Basically a stem plot. Yeah. So, and, and listen, at the end of the day, the landowner, so I guess anybody that's working with landowners in these situations, you know, I said, I'm okay with that, right? At the end of the day, if we get to August and my bean plots are stems, right? They're mowed down. That's that they served a purpose. They provided high quality protein. I'd love for them to pot it out, but they didn't. So I'm just going to disc it under and I'll plant an awesome annual plot. Right. Uh, and we did this every year. I don't and think you'll need to. <clears throat> I don't think you need to disc them under. I think, cause I've what are you this. doing? Uh, you can glypho it again. Like kill my beans. No, they should be Roundup Ready. Mm, mm-hmm, and yeah. then just broadcast oats. Yep. Or rye. Straight yeah, through. Yeah, that's what I do. I just double crop. So I just leave them up. Yeah, because they won't get completely demolished by the time the season sure. runs. They probably will be just short, and like you'll mm-hmm. you'll get some pods low. Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't plant beans. I recommend. I've had some really good luck with those real world beans. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They work really well, and you'll you'll get pods, and um, if. By the time the season rolls around, or it's time to plant, you know oats. Yep. Or or brass. You kind of make a decision mm-hmm. as just see even just, based on the weather. If you're like, well, yeah, looks good. I think that's I think that's a good point to touch on because like you know with deer grow, we get calls all the time on on guys like trying to select those indeterminate growing beans that have mm-hmm. that longer growing season mm-hmm. versus the kind of real world conventional bean with like more pod production. Mm-hmm. And they're like trying to question what what that is or where, you know, for like Ohio or like Kentucky on your lease. Like an eagle bead might be really good if you're trying to do some velvet. mainly because I've got green you you're know, having forage green early in the yeah. season and you can hold those deer on somewhat of a summer pattern. I mean, at longer. the end of the day, though, if, if you have the choice, and this is for anyone, and I've done it, is you got you need pods. Well, I've yeah, I've done both. You can have the double crop factor still. Exactly. Those those eagle beans might not turn yeah. fast enough to be able to because I always do it even on the uh, shaded out. Lands, I don't have the land like to do food plots. So I'll always just make sure it's okay with the farmer right before those leaves fall. As they're turning yellow, I'll just go in there and, and cover crop. And then yeah. those leaves will fall yeah. get a first rain. They'll have excellent germination. But that is the main difference that I saw <clears throat> was like, cause I did when I Eagle seed was the very first bean seed that I planted. Mm-hmm. And I did that for two years and both years they grew phenomenally. Like, yeah. Lots really, of green, big forage. And that's what they're known for is forage. Beans. Really tall. And they, yeah. it did seem to stay green and attractive to the deer for longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once they start to turn. Yeah. Almost into mid October, mm-hmm. these things were green, mm-hmm. but then once that there nothing, there was almost nothing. There was, it's hardly any kind of pods. And I had that six foot tall deer grow fence, like, yep. you know, bean field. And there was, you know, there were six foot tall. You could barely see a doe in it, but yep. you know, the pods were, were there. Um, just it just wasn't plentiful. like maximizing I mean, it. Where I've really seen that big benefit and, and there's the, you know, whether it's real world or Eagle, it doesn't matter. Like the, the pod benefit is huge in that if you can keep it green, you know, in through September um, and it puts on pods you'll get them still hitting those pods periodically through October. That second week of November and later, they really start to pow onto those things. And then particularly in the late season, then what I really like about them is if you have enough pods, February and March, when the hardest times, snow's falling and stuff, that structure is still standing with bean pods on it, and that's a hell of a source of food for those deer in that tough time. Um you so know. that begs the question. This is what I wanted to talk to you guys about too. True. With this, so I've got this, you know, new food plot. It's going to be like two and a half, three acres, mm-hmm. and it's 
has a chance to be a destination food source. So I'm just trying to think like through like, you know, and a lot of people are here. This is a pasture. Like right now there's just broom sedge Beans. growing there. Mm-hmm. So I know it's probably, Beans. you know, crap's it's going to be a lot start. Yeah. Beans. So I'm going with beans, I think, but I'm just I, trying to, you know, like here you can kind of, kind of see where nope, the smaller plot is the kill plot. Yeah. And then you've got the big plot now. And, um, I'm going to do, which if you can see that you, there's oh, yeah, a house right there. Yep. Dagger. That's her house. So I'm gonna have to do a plot screen, but that gives me a chance to do blind. It's going to be a better, you know, meat spot for, for, yeah, goat. I mean, I think the beans opportunity, well, here's the thing. And again, it is money. It is time. So I don't want to say like it's, it doesn't cost anything, but if, if the deer just eat the beans all summer and there are none, you just put a fall annual in, mm-hmm. you know, you're not missing out on anything in that case. Let me say beans. You're doing a, you should be planning on doing a fall annual anyways, you know, just from the double crop standpoint. Potentially. I mean, but if there's enough pods on it, are you still fall annualing into them? Annually? Yeah, I, I would. Cause I just like that. No, that rise. You're crazy. Even on that smaller plot, I did rye and it held deer. I'm trying I to make 20, a buffet here. Try a 20 deer in there during shed season. So I, I would double crop. I almost would think if harvest. it's a two or three, acre, and I'm speaking from a bow hunter's perspective, if it's right. a three acre or two acre bean field, right. And it produces enough pods and enough structure. I would leave most of that in beans and I would kill a part of it or disc under a part of it in a corner near a bow stand and put an annual in so that there is a big bean field, but then there is a small attractive annual plot that I'm truly focusing on my hunting side from. Like Cause if it's yeah. mono, if it's mono culture, uh, culture around two to three acres, like besides purely a, a big trail, like it's tough to pattern a deer in that. We got a better strategy than that. <clears throat> I just dump a corn pile. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> I don't have that. about 20 <laughs> yards from my tree stand. That's legal in yeah. some States. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, like, I wish I could do that. You're like, but. so what are you planting this fall? Corn? Yeah. A pile of corn. <laughs> that, that, I like that thought process. Cause I can't even hunt one. Yeah, corn's side of good. It. it works. So I'm, I'm probably going to end up, I might even end up doing that instead of just double cropping the whole field. I think that's the way to do it. I mean, here's the biggest thing that I've seen. And, and I, um, I learned this when we were doing big, al- like alfalfa and clover and chicory plots for a perennial side as well is that when you have a large food plot, if you're a bow hunter, gun hunting is different, but if you're a bow hunter and you have a large food plot and it's all the same, there, there's no real mechanism to drive a deer closer to your stand minus you think you're on the trail, but that trail starts to deviate away from its production as well as the rest of the field is just as attractive as wherever they're coming out of from a bedding area or something. So if you start to position that, I've got a lot of guys that, you know, on a 10 acre field will do, you know, three different plantings and Jeff is very against this. So this will be a really cool thing to talk about next week is, you know, I like having variety. Like I like having different places, different peaks and stuff. It's just my style. Jeff is very much of, if you have those different peaks, you're moving groups around your property versus spreading them all because it's all consistent and peaking at the same time. Again, I think subjective, right? At the end of the day, like I don't know which is better. Um, I do that mainly because I might have a brassica plot closer to thermal cover because I'm planning on that being later in the season versus maybe a uh, an oats plot uh, closer to some of my major hardwood areas. I think there's definitely something to That is probably the subjective piece is to say, that's a great example. It's like I'm going to plant a late season food source like a brassica near 
a piece of thermal cover where I know I can get between them during that time of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, it might not make as much sense to have a clover plot there where, um, yeah, they're just not going to use it at that time of the it's year. It's not peaking yeah. at the same time. And, and so that's kind of the bigger picture of food plotting is like, how does this tie into a hunting strategy that I, I can actually kill deer on? I think that's where, <laughs> that's where I'm excited about Jeff next week to help us kind of hear his thinking and again i think he'll be very much like just based on my experience and cover and a lot of what he's doing is in that upper midwest section minnesota wisconsin michigan where thermal cover and in winter time frame is so super critical um you know versus if we're talking about hunting in kentucky or something else i mean hell when, when i lived in mississippi like people didn't plant soybeans we planted cowpeas right iron iron clay cowpeas of which there was no potting and it just got it was literally looked like your thumb of a stem when September came, right? There was nothing left. And then they would come in and they would put some sort of cereal grain in September, October. Oh, in who was instead. it? There was a, there was a seed that I really wanted to diss on this. Diss, not disc. Diss, like oh, a diss. Call from Florida. That can't be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. What was it? Um, it was pure attraction. Whitetail Institute Pure Traction? I like Whitetail Institute a lot. As, yeah. a, as a company, I think they've got some great seeds. That Pure Traction doesn't work. <clears throat> it doesn't work. They're, first of all, they're, it's it's a blend of two seeds that are supposed to be planted at different times. A lot. Of, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, there are a lot of these a companies lot of doing like that. that. Yeah. Also, none of it grew. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. I understand. I had two different plots that I planted the stuff in. Yeah, it was. I remember that. I had... I think that where'd you buy it at? Online mm-hmm. from Whitetail. Online, okay. Well, that's a little bit safer. I think a lot of guys go in and like, I don't. I don't think you're guaranteed to have good germ rates on some of these bags. Well, listen, you know, it, like, it's who a, knows how long they sit on these shelves. I had sometimes. like 100 percent, uh, just disturbance. Like it was just. Well, and that, I mean, I think that's part of like if you start to look at some of these, and this is a whole different conversation, right? The buck on the bag thing. I I still believe in. I use everybody's right. I'm. We don't have a seed affiliation here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, the alfalfa that I just got was from uh, John Bersotti and Frigid Ford. And we know John. Obviously, Bill talked about John. Is that like the Alpha Rack Plus? Uh, or is that a white tail one? That's a white tail well? one. Yeah, which is actually right over there. There's an Alpha Rack Plus over here. Mm-hmm. So, I just bought, I bought that from him. The thing I like about it is 100% pure seed, right? And I know it, Jeff has talked about this numerous times of look at the inert matter and the percentage of pure seed in there. Mm-hmm. That alfalfa was 100% pure seed. No knock to them because, and he still can't get it to grow. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, no shit, uh, and that's not the seed fault. That's yeah. my fault. But if you look at, uh, and I'll probably put this up at on the mountain property too. But I've got Alpha Rack Plus over here, which I've had success with. Right, alfalfa and chicory really are the two two big things in there. That wine of chicory has always been a, a kind of figurehead for Whitetail Institute, but it's like sixty percent inert matter, really, in that bag. You know, and I'm not saying that the mix isn't good. It's just, and and again, I'm well versed enough in food plotting and and how that's going to work. That I'll make my own mixes. I mean, hell, half of my um, half of my brassica mixes are frigid forage, big and beastie. I'll put that. I'll mix um, whitetail institute winter greens, and I'll mix biologic uh, New Zealand. Brassicas. Mm-hmm. I'll literally mix all three of those together into that because I think they all bring something successful to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm a weirdo. 
No, I think that's fine. I'm kind of weird because I, I do all co-ops. Well, yeah, we know. Like, I just go to my local co-op because I know it's going to be fresh because the farmers are buying it out like almost every year. And they just and, sell you carrots. And I'm going in and doing... Uh, Dude, you know, that's real bizarre that. that you say that. I'm sorry to cut you off, Wes, but I had a dream <laughs> that you just oh. reminded me. I had a dream the other night. About carrots? About a carrot food plot. Like it was like huh. the most bulbous carrots you've ever seen and they were just getting destroyed. <laughs> Hunter, Weird. Hunter carrot blend. Weird. Yeah, I Maybe. definitely had a dream about Maybe. that. Carrot food plots. Do you grow carrot blend? I didn't mean to cut you off. Mm. Producing giant rabbits one at a time. Right. Probably like carrots. I'm sure. Reindeer. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do, uh, you never gave uh, Santa's reindeer carrots when you were little? We did a thing with Ellison this year where we put out... Oh, no. uh, Carrots for the Easter Bunny. I have to talk to Dwayne and Vicky. Yeah, about see that this. makes sense because what? Yeah. what? I see carrots. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Reindeer eat. You never, you never left. So you left Santa cookies, right? I kind of thought reindeer, the cookies the reindeer were for the reindeer oats. as well. Your dad's oh. like, uh, Santa really would rather have a beer, son. <laughs> yeah, I don't think <laughs> a milk soap. <laughs> <laughs> Your Santa likes Eagle Rare Bourbon. <laughs> yeah, I think I was more like setting up pinch points for the reindeer than I was. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. corn, corn pile. Very possible. Yeah, it's just a like corn a pile, pile of corn. A corn pile on my roof. <laughs> you know that I went to the real North Pole? Where Santa lives. Like, actually where the workshop is. It's a, it's Did a, you meet him? No, it was off season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was gone. Vacationing. Uh, it was in North Pole, Alaska. Wow. They have, the, like, an actual... Oh, you could see northern lights and stuff? Oh, no, I didn't. Because I... I was there in the summer. Oh, when it's like never dark. Yeah, it was never dark. So, that's freaky. It was cool. They, but they had real elves there. Em- employed. They like to be called little people. Well, they weren't. They were regular sized people. But oh, they were actors. They were hired by Santa. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Do you know the funniest part of the whole deal? We was, probably need to there's have a, a place down this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> There's a place down the road that serves reindeer <laughs> sausage, <laughs> and I had some. It was really good. Yeah. They're like, hey, listen, you, these little squirrely bastards get out of line. <laughs> I, get to, I, get, I get to pop them. Yeah. <laughs> these bastards get out of line. But, this um, is the cold reindeer. Anyways. Yes. So you're using co-op seed? Yeah. I just mixed my uh, – I did some, like, red, some white. And because I – and I do this because – Is that inoculated? Is that pre-inoculated? Uh, the white is – the red was. Uh, I Everybody think I know what inoculation like, is, by the way. Like you have to actually bacteria goes on the seed to actually help it start germinating. It's like that. That kombucha, is basically. rhizomes to help with uh, yeah. producing nitrogen. That is right. the downfall of co-op seed is that a lot of people will buy co-op seed that's not pre-inoculated. Thus, when they seed it, I, I always chances make of, sure chances yeah, of it, germination. It's got to be blue or red, or because I know you yeah. know I, I know it's inoculated, but mm-hmm. I mixed it and then and I do that because you know obviously like I'm I'm having a a kid in May. Now. Is that how we got on this uh, inoculation conversation? Uh, wow. You're saying you uh, inoculated. Uh-huh. No. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. No, but I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get out as much. So like a safe bet for that plot was clover because I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to go put in fall plots. I just don't know what my time's going to look like. So yep. I, the downfall of inoculations. Some, sometimes you have to pre-inoculate. <laughs> 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 But uh, uh, yeah. that's good. Good stuff. Which which when, brings up the point: How are we planting the the Illinois plot? And if you guys are if we're taking equipment to Illinois, mm-hmm. can we make a pit stop? In we don't know. 
Yeah, yeah. we don't know. Um, so potentially, right? I've got my Kubota and disc and stuff, which I changed out the, uh, you know, I busted a bunch of those discs off on rocks and stuff. I changed those out this weekend. It's pretty easy. They only cost like um, 20 bucks per for yeah. a new disc. Mm-hmm. They're pretty cheap. Yeah, that's cool. Good thing it was the outer ones. I don't know how the hell it changed the inner ones. Dude, those things are complex. My, I've I've had this Ferminator forever, and mm-hmm. all of them are just like. I know. I'm I, The outer ones are easy. It's like two yeah. uh, different nuts that come off. Pull those. The outer off, ones are the only ones I've ever broke, and I think it's because ones, it's it is the rocks when you turn. and the roots, but it's when I yeah when I turn. Yeah, you're supposed to take too, it out. I don't too do much that. pressure. I like that. They're small plots. Like I'm always. Turning. That's usually where I get the best cut. <laughs> My God. Yeah, I'm like look at it. look at it. It's really grabbing now. <laughs> yeah. Torquing that thing Putting out. Putting rats in mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, so. I guess per that lesson, a couple of different things. Number one, we're obviously as part of this deer grow conversation. Um, you know, we've got a new relationship with Whitetail Properties. And so the national meeting for the agents is in July in St. Louis, uh, which we'll all co- go out to and, and be part of. Uh, Colton, we need to get that on your calendar. Um, and then, uh, you know, we'll be within an hour of the leases. So that's when I thought we would plan. It's, it's the right timing. The alternative to that, just because I also maybe don't want to haul equipment across the country, uh, yeah. And we may end up going to Deer Grow after that. Is um, I've got some buddies in that area, um, Ryan Bland being one that that plant food plots as part of their business. Right. So I thought about asking them, like, hey, what would it cost? Number one, we've got to spray, and then you got to plant. Like, there's a lot well, of things. That seems to be the real, like, logistical hurdle that we can't figure out how to. get It would over be half-assed if we just went out and dissed it and planted it. Yeah, it's like, how do you get the thing sprayed? two to three weeks prior to then go in and mm-hmm. still have to the owner might also have equipment he might we look at mm-hmm. so I, I was thinking about that because he did a pot you talk about the landowner who's uh spray painted a big on his garage says sup bitch yes yeah, Alan. yeah. 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 so i just yeah I, he might have it but could i don't just, have equipment uh, either could we just put a this. backpack sprayer on the dogs and let them run around the whole property be torched mm-hmm. i get pictures of that dog <sighs> We haven't got a picture of a deer on that Illinois bean trail. It's just the dog every <laughs> just day. Dogs. Just That's a dog, dog trail. It's- even at night, like midnight, yeah. <laughs> at one in the morning. <laughs> I know, that dog is. There's three of them the other day. Nose mm-hmm. tail. Weston, that's your spot. Um, <laughs> I'll be I'll be deep into public on those pieces. <laughs> Inoculating. Um, <laughs> if we, uh, so I think that's the strategy on that one. On Hobart's, I don't I, think we can plan anything. Right. I mean, no, I don't think you need to. I'm going to what I am going to ask him, though, is in that back corner to maybe leave a little bit of standing corn. Which corner? The back corner. It's not his. He don't own that. Uh, the yeah. same farmer farms it, though. Yeah, but he doesn't own it. We Jeremy, we and mine also. I didn't see any cover crops in the big field with the redneck, like the giant. I don't. Did you guys see? It was corn. Was but I didn't corn. see any no. cover crops. No. That could be a potential for bringing them out of that thick stuff into that big. I mean, he had enough acres. There. I feel like I'm just gonna lay in that little drainage across the road and just like sit up and. Yeah, whack on their way to the big feed field. Mm-hmm. That's a good strategy. You see what I'm saying? That I know he doesn't own that. We'd be hunting his property. If that farmer, if I pay that farmer and just be like, yeah, dude, leave a strip here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess, yeah, if you go to the farmer. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Go to the farmer and just be like, hey, man, just leave a strip here. I'll pay you for it. I know 
it, it's somebody else cash running that to you, but who cares? You're yeah, getting your I'm money. looking forward to I hope I hope we get a chance to hunt that spot this year. I think I think we need to set you know how it got wetter towards the you know, if you're starting from the house going that way, it got yeah. wetter on the right. Yeah. I think we should cut some good shooting lanes over there and uh on the on some of those bigger trails because Otherwise, thing, you can't get to a tree. I, I do think that there could be two people hunting that one back in that corner. The other one, I, I think, complete opposite to, to the east. We didn't right. go in. He said we could cut in from the main road there. I think that there, I bet there's another good corridor over there that we need to hunt. Not think? to mention across the river and in all that public. Yeah. You know, you can come in probably from the highway you or think something. That little refuge that we walked is getting hunted. Mm, I'm sure somebody's hunting it. I'd be curious to just put a guy. Right in that thicket, man. Right on the edge between that and that little. <laughs> That's me rattling. Yeah. It was loaded with your sign. It well, was, man. Back, back to the uh, the first lease, though. Dude, I do think having walked all of that surrounding area, if you put a big brassica plot in there, you're going to pull. Up in that top. You're going to pull some deer in. Yeah. That, and, and so I think to do it right, I'm going to just, I'm going to probably reach out to those <laughs> guys and, um, I don't know, maybe we'll trade some ser- services, give them some promo Did or anybody something. put a. Does anyone put Onyx on there? See see what we're getting away with in terms of acreage? Yeah, I mean, that that upper part is an acre and a half of what I had mapped out. And that's probably extending a little bit past that corner as part of the bigger field there. I don't know. I mean, I I have thought about putting another one in that lower plot, even though it's fairly close, just because if I'm going to pay somebody to be out there, I bet I could get it done for dirt cheap. What lower plot? The one after you walk from that top where we were heading back towards the house, there was one that was down in that bottom lower. It's like that corner, right? The four wheeler trail. Yes. Where we're talking about putting a stand. We were thinking about the camera there. I mean, they're already out there. Just go and plan it. I remember you saying that was the spot, that corner. I'd put that in Brassica. I do think it's the spot plot or not. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Regardless. That plot could just that that area that's like just has a little bit more scent, you know. Put a put a scrape in there, and I mean those deer could be down in that bottom and up at that top in a heartbeat. Oh, they will for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we should figure out how to get at least that top one planted if we want to get the bottom one done too. I like the bottom one too because there you have that creek that's wide open that you can walk through. You know, it's seven eight foot tall, so you're being able to sneak right in there from an entry standpoint. I don't think you can, Weston. I think you're gonna have to come in from the house. Really? Yeah. Well, it's just there's too much stuff. I'd probably come right down the dog trail. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, right down the dog trail and then come from the south to the north. I mean, it's literally right over the hill from the house. I -hmm. I think you could literally. I would come from the house. Pop right over. I'd hop down. If we have somebody planning, I'm gonna I'm gonna have them plan a couple of things because I bet it's the cost of getting the equipment there is gonna be a lot less than time of doing stuff. Theoretically, how much think it costs to just plant that whole thing? Like six acres of beans. A grand. I'll chip in. Get in beans tonight? Or tonight? This this year? Yeah. Just do the whole thing in beans? Mm-hmm. That I don't whole know top they, field where the tripod was? Yeah, the whole thing. It's big, probably a lot of work. Field. I think, remember me saying well, that? Well, I get, he probably would it. drill it. He'd I, spray I it, and it, drill it and drill it. Well, he can't. He can't. Because it's in CRP, remember? I don't think, I think he's on drugs. <laughs> well, oh, he's got it enrolled. I think he's what he said. He I, has thought, it I think he has the tree plantings enrolled. 
Because if it's CRP, he couldn't have went in there and mowed that field, right? No. Uh, yeah, you you can mow it, and um, you I don't, it's like on a year uh, or a certain time. Why was he telling us we could plant said, it then? He told us that he could dedicate a certain percentage to the wildlife food plots or mm. food openings. That's what he said. Like 100? <laughs> All of it? Well, totally. The other thing is I don't know if those guys plant in the summer because they're farming. I okay. think mm. they may only plant in that July, August time frame, but okay. uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. Yeah. I just wanted to ask because if we are dragging equipment all the way over, we'll have to pit stop in Indiana. It, so, it does seem, uh, it seems like one of those spots. But, I mean, th there's definitely a few big bucks in the area and it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of, you know, during the season food. As, as if you can plan it, they'll come. Well, I mean, the only other food that we saw was up front, right? Like along the road coming in was some crop stuff. There's got to be a big buck down there. Dude, that, that rub that we found is the biggest rub I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the guys next to it from Chicago, that's just cattle, grass, Chicagoans. And I don't that. think, and I think that that timber is so, you know, it's, See, it's there's like a lot forest. of timber there. There's going to be a, a lot of big forest. bucks. There's no, there was no, we, we searched that whole thing. There was no openings. There's like no, no. diversity. It was straight, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, acorns, but. And most straight, of the buck sign was heavier, closer to the least. Diversity. Yeah. I mean, I foresee us picking up another one before the season. I've been looking every night. I know. 8 p.m. I know you are. Nothing. I nothing see the good. emails come through. And I'm like, he's looking. Nothing good. Not yet. Not yet. I'll jump it'd, on it. When it'd be it nice happens. to find another one like like Hobart's, like down right in that in area. That area. Mm -hmm. Don't know why Wesson, that. Wesson's don't like, know why that blonde's over there. I, I'm just glad to add the others like Illinois as a state because even there was more public land like even closer where it's like. You know, being in my spots deadly for me. Like I'm, I'm an hour and I'm in Kentucky hunting. Yeah. Uh, Thirty minutes, I'm in Indiana. You know, obviously, and then, and I could be in Illinois hunting in, in an hour and a half. So, which is awesome. You know, that lease stuff is three hours from me, but yeah, I'm like, pretty excited about the opportunities this year. I'll be excited to see what you come across on public. I imagine you're going to do some closer to your house type of stuff, like hour and a half. Yeah, there's some of that Shawnee that's actually like right on. Uh, it's, I think it's like right at an hour and a half. It may be stretched to two hours, but there's some giant blocks mm -hmm. and some blocks that you can't get in unless you're in a kayak. Well, it sounds like, I mean, from, a from a deer standpoint, uh, Hobart's definitely seeing a lot of deer and a lot of bucks down there. I, I just don't think they're, I think they're there. They're just not as visible on the one near Shawnee and, and closer to the Mississippi river and that more hill country type of stuff. I think it's just not as dense of habitat. Yeah. So I think they're spread out. More. I am anxious to get across that river though, <laughs> where right. we think it's all flooded because I think, I feel like you're going to find some islands in there that yep. are just thick and gnarly. Well, and it's going to be dude, that really, be really cool. cool. It could be very cool. If we figure out how to get a kayak in at the back of that lease and then take it down through beaver country. But you guys in kayaks are getting, mm-hmm. I think you're right, Weston. I, I want to paddle a buck out. I, mean, I, I bet, I I bet there's a big old swamp donkey back in there somewhere. Oh, oh I guarantee that there is. Just like, oh, seaweed hanging from his antlers. and <laughs> It's fresh. Just, old man beard growing on his antlers. Uh, <laughs> just, 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 just like, oh, just like, uh, like moss, like growing on. Old mossy yeah, horns. Uh-huh. You got to watch for those. 50 pound beavers back there they're gonna flip your kayak I, though i like that challenge of like kayaking in and doing that because like you know last year was that whole pup you know one and a half miles in packing it out like mm -hmm. i want to do that with a kayak 
Oh, it's just cool. I bet there, it I is bet cool. There is. It just gives you that edge, and it's a new element of adventure mm-hmm. to the hunt. Really that, cool. yeah. Well, it complicates the whole morning and, and getting out and like the time adjustments and everything. But you're you're dedicated at that point. You're going. You're driving several hours to a lease. Like, mm-hmm. do I what mean, you got to do. Yeah, I mean, Jared's thought about sleeping in the tree before. I I hundred percent will do it at some point. All you gotta do is strap yourself in, and you're, yeah, yeah. Duct tape yourself to the tree. I should do that more often, to be honest. Sleeping in the tree. Yeah. I just I, I there's more risk in that because like what if the wind switches or something? You know, usually you check it when you're doing coffee and you can do a switch up. At that you point, turn you're around and look the other way. Dedicated. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You turn around and look the other way. That's I think, what happens. I think that would be it. Like I you're the type to... of guy that would sit in it when it fronts passing through, and you're gonna like you're gonna hold up in there the whole time that rain is coming through, and then that morning is gonna be golden. Like, <laughs> that's the in, way in to the do mo- it, Yeah, man. in the morning when the rain lights up, I'll like. Like bra- I'll be like a transformer Break, yeah, breaking like, out of like ice. Blocks. That's how I killed that deer. I sat through like a nasty front to the point the bow was held up and I was on the tree because I mean it was hammering. And then as soon as it passed, all those deer got up and moved and it's the time killed them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think it's a good piece. I mean, I, I think that Hobart's is going to be fine because that's going to be corn. So even when they harvest it. There'll be corn left over. Those deer are going to be. And that in the field area. will be beans across. So the yeah. late season is going to be where yeah. it's at. They'll be. Right. It'll be killer. The the other one we have to figure out a better strategy because once those acorns dry up, it's dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think the the more acreage we could get there mm-hmm. with brassicas, probably cereal too, just in case they wipe it off. Like if we don't get down there and they wipe the brassicas off the face of the planet, like I do think I do think that um, I don't know about both those properties that hill country property mid-October, first cold front on a scrape, you you have a chance of killing a big buck. Yeah. Not Hope, Hobart. Yes, yeah, the other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe Hobart's too. Because um, mm. that corn will come off early. That'll be off in September probably. Mm. Can't wait to hunt it. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how we fit it all in. I'm going to be so excited to hunt Kentucky, you know, obviously hunting the, the home state and then mm-hmm. like, when that last week of October hits, it's just gonna. I hate having to pick. Like that's a good problem to have. Sure. But I think the problem is work <laughs> and, and yeah. families and anything else that's not hunting <laughs> during that time. That's the problem. Um, on a food plot note, though, what uh, what's our Ohio landowner trying to do here? So, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like I feel obligated to like contribute or help out to his. I want Cause, to. I do, but he's also just going to do it anyways. Yeah, I just don't know what, like, and I'm fine. I mean, like, there's clover growing and some stuff. Like, it just needs sprayed. You don't need to replant. He's going to plant. He's going to plant. I clover. think a strong kick of deer grow would be needed. Just to- Yeah. Well, we can do that easily. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to plant regardless. He's already told me. He's like, I'm about the seed, about the clover. He's like, when are you guys coming up? I was like, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's that, like, I, many of those plots should be brassicas and cereal grains. So here's what I do know. There's five or six plots that he's been planting for uh, a, a while now. Mm-hmm. And those are, I think, some kind of combination of brassicas and clover. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know when he's planting those. But there definitely was some brassicas in those last year. Mm-hmm. I did propose to him planting a big bean field mm-hmm. in that thing. And, and he mentioned that she's got it crop lease for um hey hey yeah for hey so he's like but yeah you can talk to her about it uh-huh. so i don't know yeah i mean even if i end up putting that in brassicas 
or something in brassicas. Yeah, and none of those are going to be destination plots. I don't, Mm-mm. you know. But um, I, I'm going to benefit off of hunting off of brassicas with you guys this year. I just I've never had success with them, so I'm interested just to hunt over them. And- the the hard part about brassica, and I love them. Don't get me wrong. Is my my success has been in a very narrow window with them. Um, yeah. Oh and- well, like, as soon as that frost hits, you have a week mode. Yep. And, yeah. and like even the one by my house, which is a poor example because it's a small plot. And I mean, they grew okay. I think that's mainly because you're Pennsylvania though. Yeah. The boys just like, we didn't see anything the entire month of October and first week of November in the plot. Yeah, man. It starts, it's like that second to third week of November. Which our season's they, closing. And it starts to really pick up and then it stays good through January usually. Yep. I think that's a misconception. Like they, the whole small plot with brassicas, they get nuked so fast. Like well, it's that's great it. if you can get in there yeah and, yeah and i always miss a window and usually it's when we're in uh kansas which no fault to our own but like that last week of the pa season usually we go to kansas that usually is the week that there are just 15 deer in the plot behind my house just mowing it two weeks later gun season opens up and it's there's nothing oh, left right do you have cereal grains in there at all do you have one around one a week um i put a little bit of oats in there i think that would be the time though like in, in kansas dude if we could get robber's bottom planted in brassicas that did well that, that third week in november would just be insane yeah killer well, when you guys say brassicas what exactly are you planning the, um, the bag that says brassicas yeah <laughs> last year i put in uh purple top turnips um sugar beets uh yep. and rape right so not oh like the, what's that daycon um daycon radish yeah so that's like they have those they have those at the co-op and i i remember combining beets and uh i need it <laughs> my bulbs never get big they don't uh-uh. i feel like my bulbs about? are immature they last not in seems to be a problem um dude do you know what mine really take off in the month of uh september your bulbs the bulbs really well maybe because we haven't had any rain yeah you need some rain you need fertilizer i was my it's super compacted which maybe that new deer grow product will help uh Mm -hmm. yeah well usually if you you know what the best luck that i ever had with brassicas was one of the first years i planted them and i actually rototilled the whole mm. plot so it had more it was lighter it fluffier was like more see that's the benefit of those daikon radishes is those radishes put on a huge tuber go straight down and aerate the soil break the compaction up and then they break down remember that first, i probably should do that remember that year. first year they planted brassicas out there on at west wind mm-hmm. and it was just like probably the best one i ever had i i did it so i actually did it on that plot that i cut the cedars out of and they like they didn't even they didn't even penetrate the soil. They grew on top because I just never gotten uh-huh. tilled, you know. It was yeah, just that's what mine bulbs. tend to do. My bulbs are sitting high. I've got a good strategy here for anybody that hunts farm ground. <clears throat> yeah. Let your farmer farm a piece mm-hmm. for a couple of years and then say, I'm going to make that a food plot now. Because it's, been, it's been, been treated at that treated, point. Yeah. And then move it. Just be like, hey, you can plant you that can again. Plant I'm going to move over. I'm going to move over here. <laughs> yeah, that's a good strategy. I've got one. I've got one. I've got, I've got one spot that's like that, and it's like I just carved it out of an ag field, and mm-hmm. like it's always grown. I'm kind of torn on the plot behind the house this year because if if the alfalfa actually grows and looks good, like I don't really want to till it under and plant brassicas, but mm-hmm. I also don't want the deer to just like mow it, and then there's nothing left. But then again, if I plan that right for the boys, it, we should kill our deer in archery season 
And then I don't really care about the late season. I, I'm with your whole like stripping it out on this new food plot. I'm probably going to end up trying brassicas. I can never bring myself. I'll have to do some cereal grains in there too. Though. Well, yeah. Just I mean, mix it with oats, wheat, or rye grain, and that's that's fine. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where my flaws have been in the past. Is if it's purely, and I did it last year. I think if it was purely a brassica plot, there were no deer using it until second week in November. And that's the, I mean, we're sitting in a muddy blind and the deer are just skirting, eating acorns and stuff, you know? Right, so right. I'm, I'm going to change that up this year, whether it's just alfalfa or cereal grain or something. What's your guys' thoughts and experiences on the, um, screens? Cause I have not mm. yet done one. I'll tell with, you what, this without, is, I mean, I've done like habitat screens yeah. with like hinge cutting and stuff, yeah. but I have not actually planted screens. Mm. This is kind of interesting. I've had some good luck with them. Um, you use them at the farm. Yeah. In a couple spots, <clears throat> there's what's cool is, and this is tied to like, um, you know, location on, I just get louder location on these plots and, uh, just learning, learning, you know, the piece of ground that you hunt. What happens a lot at, on my farm in Ohio is like, I, there's a couple main drainage that, you know, are running throughout the farm. And then there's, you know, secondary Ridge, uh, ravines that run perpendicular and what happens a lot of time is i'm getting some serious bedding happening on uh south facing slopes year, mm -hmm. year round um and on the drainage ditches uh on the hillside or, above them yeah okay, okay. On the hillside of, south and east facing ridges typically are and i, I think that's yeah. primarily because obviously the sunlight that 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 is mm -hmm. getting but also the the prevailing wind is typically sure. out of the west and right. so it makes sense to from a location standpoint, those are primary bedding areas just for deer mm -hmm. period. But what happens is these deer get up and then they filter down into the bottom in the evening where all the thermals are dropping mm -hmm. so that they can stage down there and they can smell everything that's happening around. And the closest option that I have to do a food plot is on the next mound. So it's like, here's the ridge, drops down, they stage, next mound is my food plot. And sometimes they can even see to it because it's just mm -hmm. like a ravine between it and they can see across it. That's why they're bedding there. And if you're up there and drops down into the thermals. So yeah, I've got two spots. It's the east wind and Ray's plot. It's it's the exact same scenario. Mm -hmm. And what I have to do is find a way to, um, you know, screen my access to that plot so that they can't see me from the ridge that they're bedding on. Um, and I, so one of them I don't need because I can access it from a way that I don't need it. But Ray's pot, plot specifically is like, they'll see you. Yeah, like if you just walk you. out in there, they're going to see you. But I, so I've, I've done a pretty good job of like getting this food plot that kind of wraps out and around the big ridge is over here that they're betting on. And I've got a food, a tree stand right on just a giant tree that used to, it kind of sticks out in that mm -hmm. field, like a sore thumb. And I've planted plot screen now for several years, you know, right up my access and around the tree. It's just a little J hook and it works. So it even covers when you're like going up the ladder yep. or climbing. Well, okay. I'm on the backside of this giant tree. So In fact, there's some uh, innovation, ingenuity here mm -hmm. happening. I can't get a strap around the tree. It's too big. Yeah, it's giant. It's huge. And actually I can't get a cameraman stand in there for that reason. What all I right. did instead of trying to get a strap all the way around is I took two eye bolts or two eye. Oh, into the tree. Yeah. I just did it into the tree. And then I just latch onto those. That's smart. Nice. For nice. Didn't go to college for nothing. I would have probably that? just gone screwing steps and, but. Well, I have a big ladder stand in there. Yeah. Those oh, eye hooks. Yeah. I got a big old, yeah, ladder stand in where there. Are you have you guys you killed playing? deer out of that stand? Yeah, that's where Dale killed sweepers a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Colton and I shot a couple of does out of there last year. Mm -hmm. Nice. Very nice. 
What are you I, planning on that screen? What are you using? Plot screen. It's uh, Fridge of Forge plot screen. Fridge of Forge plot screen. Do you know what's in that? Mm, probably Wait. Egyptian. Egyptian wheat. So on this one, again, because it's like my grandma's house right there. Mm. Okay, I have literally asked her for 10 years now to plant this food plot. To, this year is finally the Please, year. Please, Grammy. Hey, what did it? What did it was I promised is this her. Your, plant, is this like your, a whole row is this of your mama's mom? Oh, yeah, there you go. Sunflowers. Sunflower. I'm going to do a whole row yeah. of sunflower. I might put that plot screen in behind that just to ensure that there is somewhat of a screen mm -hmm. uh, to give them, I guess, more security. Sunflowers will be good, man. That's good structure on that side. I mean, people, and I mean, people just plant six, week, or six rows of corn mm -hmm. as a screen. Yeah, I've, I've had good luck with the, the plot screen. It's, it's done pretty well for me. Your hardest part, depending on how many deer are in that area, with sunflowers is they'll mow the shit out of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. You like know, early. 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 Yeah. I've never um, tried before, so. But, I mean, anything structurally will, will help there. Field corn's good. Well, but to give you some confidence in your strategy on this bean plot this year, I, I planted rays and beans thinking I would need to go back in, yep. and, and it worked out pretty good. It was maybe... Yeah, real world or just like conventional real world yeah mm -hmm. hmm. yeah they did really well yeah, yeah. i don't know that, that screen i think is gonna have to be it's gonna be vital for this this plot because the house is right there they're always out there that's my entry from the truck but it's the same scenario jared where okay they're betting in the cedars and all around but that plot has a has just the slightest slope where my thermals are always going to sink from where the deer are coming from mm -hmm. so i'm going to have to like bury myself into one side keep thermals on one side and just probably seal up tight in a blind you know how to beat those thermals i'm gonna come from the underside with the creek I, well you can always come from the underside but uh box blind muddy box blind is the way to beat that yeah that's what i'm thinking mm -hmm. uh either like the, the, the i like i kind of like the hawk down and outs and and different things like that because i'm not super confident financially in, in buying a blind <laughs> i was gonna say <laughs> super confident like, in just, my ability to pay for that <laughs> i want to be able to move it around and those those down and out blinds seem like a really good medium you could just pull a bill winky and just throw it on a trailer and tow it around yeah yeah then mm -hmm. have to buy a trailer too remember when he built that thing it looked like uh mm -hmm. like a medieval um like war tower that you would like that pull before, up to the wall was that and like climb he was over with redneck must have been. Yeah. Because he tried making his own. It was like a two-story house yeah. that, like, the cameraman yeah. was, like, in the top that. and he was in the bottom. Those were the yeah. uh, uh, the days where Peruka was something out of the red, the red, the barn wagon. Yeah, the wagon. It's mm -hmm. fine. No, we, made, we turned a grain. A, it was yeah. a grain. Yeah, we, we turned one into a blind as well. It is funny how deer just get used to those structures you put out there. Mm -hmm. This Fuzzy Wuzzy buck that I killed, <laughs> I put that muddy box blind out there on a five-foot tower two months before mm -hmm. and he was there all the time all the time in daylight didn't care <laughs> he didn't care mm -hmm. it is i mean it's still um still a movement thing in those blinds and stuff like i know even and again i've got two kids in the blind with me and so it looks like you know we're doing cartwheels but like yeah. I, i'll have deer coming through the woods to that food plot when we're in there windows closed and they're drilling holes through the side looking for any movement inside that blind. Really? Yeah. See, I... I've had the same thing. Mostly does. The I bucks don't it. care. They're yeah. just like, eh, whatever. But those does are locking eyes. See... And I'm just... My like, deer cannot figure it out. Really? They, yeah, they'll look, but they can't seem to see past that barrier, even with the window open. Mm -hmm. And I'll just be in there, like, moving around. Even if they think they see something, they're like... Uh, damn mountain deer. I, I think it, and you're talking about the blind on that really small plot behind the house. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think because I've tried to put blind on that small kill plot. I think it's the size of the plot because it's just that they get so much more on edge within that that much. So she said, I, "Dude, I yeah, I have mature. I have like a mature doe, like literally looking right at me, and I'll go <laughs> <laughs> right in the dome." Yeah, I I can't. And again, it kids. There's multiple bodies moving, but like I'm having them set up and like looking over my shoulder, and we're we're locking eyes. It's bizarre, man. Hunting out of a blind is bizarre, especially because the noise. And I think you hear it if you watch, especially Midwest flights. You can hear these guys moving around, mm-hmm. and it makes loud. It sounds loud. Yeah. It sounds loud, but outside, nothing. You don't hear anything. Those muddies are nice with that because they have so much <clears throat> uh, kind of insulation and everything between the walls. OSB. That I mean, it it no knock to redneck. Like a straight fiberglass. Well, yeah, no knock to redneck, but it's fiberglass. I mean, you hit the side and it does make noise. Those things can make noise, but there's so much dampening happening in between that you do not hear that on the other side. Like when the kid drops the iPad or something. Oh my god! Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I'd I'd commit to a a box blind on um that Union Mm -mm. County property yet. It would be a good spot for hang on right in the corner. I think so too. Pocket. Yeah. I think I think I'm seriously gonna look at one of those hawk blinds and then, you know, actually in the middle of this big food pot too is one of those just absolutely giant cedars mm-hmm. that I'll go up there with a chainsaw and carve out. It's just mm-hmm. a perfect little area for hang on. <laughs> I may so. try to put one up uh well, we'll see. I'd like to get something down on that Nebraska plot in Kentucky to be able to get the kids in and out of pretty quickly in that bottom. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. There's one up there. I know. It's still there, isn't get it? Get it. It probably charged me double. Speaking of trimming lanes, I uh, <laughs> I was trying to swindle Margie into buying me hunting gear. Yeah. I convinced her that it's like house gear. We, we went to, uh, here's a good example. Mm-hmm. I bought a new, um, sk- what's it called? Skizzers or what's the? Skizzers? <laughs> yeah. What's that scissor brand that's real popular? I don't know. Apparently yeah. we're not. Fiskers. Fiskers, yeah, yeah, yeah. Picked up some Fiskers, uh, the the real heavy duty, yeah, yeah. pruning. Because yes. there's a pine tree next to our house that's getting us all branches and stuff. Like, Perfect, got to come down. So, Dad, Daddy's got a new pole saw now. Well, Fisker action. Mm-hmm. That's those a good are, one. Those are real nice. Yeah, I think yeah. I, did I buy you one of those? Mm, no, we bought a cheap one when we were out in Kansas to pole saw. That's a good pole saw, man, can make all the difference. I'm yeah. still dreading going to that Kentucky lease and. It'll be fine. Why? I just tunnel myself in there. Which Kentucky lease? The one that Jeremy and I flipped the range on? No, no, no. The one south of his house. Uh, Dude. Densities like that. Listen, at the end of the day, though, there will be a giant in that. There will be. I just, I don't know. I I mean, it was the hardest time going without a backpack in there. I I don't know if carrying a bow, camera equipment stuff, it's going to be difficult. All right, we'll do it for you. Um, uh, I invite you guys to come over for sure with some chainsaws and we're mocking out. Invite me, it's my lease. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, if you guys, I'll invite you to come over and <laughs> visit it sometime. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it, and again, food plots, there's a great case in point. Like, food plots aren't for all of these places. Like, you're not planting a food plot on that lease, you know, it'll be minerals, popcorn. I'd can love find to, tree. but yeah, I mean, that's that's the other thing too. Like, I'd love to, to haul a feeder up there. But that you would, I cannot imagine drop like dragging a boss buck through the stem density like that. Like it's just deer trails. Dude, we're gonna stuff. have a work cut out for us on this getting them big boss bucks. It's 600 pounders. I gotta get those ordered. That'll be so cool though to have those. Once they're there. back there, it's right. I almost went, um, 
I bought two trophy rocks for those spots. I almost hauled those back up in there, and I didn't. I'm telling you guys, that water hole in that Kentucky, you have a boss buck, the mineral, you got that water hole. That is mm-hmm. going to be the spot. I was thinking about that back. Uh, you know, there's probably two areas that we really want to have one on that mm-hmm. north side, but that where that little ephemeral pond was where those three ridges kind of came together right in the corner. Would you call it ephemeral pond? Ephemeral pond, like What's it's that? seasonality, seasonal pond. Never heard that before. Yeah, seasonal pond. It's not there all the time, but okay. There was like you know what it's what I'm talking about. Like it was on the ridge on the back back part of that north part of the property. Yeah, the north is where we went the second day. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, then yeah. Yeah, thought about putting one right at that where those yeah. three ridges come together. Yeah, those are the two spots, right? The, the those two points, mm-hmm. the two knobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then over towards that buck bed and one, and then we still technically need one, probably on the south, um, up on that top. Yeah, right in the saddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those three spots. We gotta figure it out. Just gotta get them there without dying. Risky. Well, maybe we'll learn something next week that we can take and apply. Yeah. No, I think so. Um, Having Jeff on next week, three of us will be on. We'll be a pry and ask some questions, kind of follow up on on this conversation, get some input from Jeff. I mean, uh, listen, like I was telling Jared, you know, Jeff probably sees more properties than anybody I know and steps foot on different properties. And, you know, anytime you have case studies like that, it's going to make you at least a little bit more knowledgeable. Yeah. Clients always texting you saying what's working, what's not. And you're seeing those bucks killed in October, November, I'm sure, from those mm-hmm. guys that yeah, and hear about his new Minnesota property. You know, this is his first oh, yeah. year with that farm, and at least from the outside looking in, he killed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, had a ton of big bucks, killed some good bucks. Um, so it'll be an interesting take there because, like, it's like, dude, you did that in one year. Like, what's next? What's this year? I'll be interested. To, yeah, I'll be interested to see just what our conversation is like with Jeff because I, <clears throat> I know, and he knows a lot more than I do for sure, probably all of mm-hmm. us combined on how this stuff works. But, uh, he also takes it, you know, pretty serious, and, mm. and we like to we like to have fun. With, I know he wants to have fun. With, <laughs> I'd be interested to see like what what we kind of settle on in terms of like, yeah, this is what we should do, or this is what we shouldn't do. And mm-hmm. um, right, yeah, I think it'll be, be good. Hey, also we got a new sponsor that I don't know if we've announced anywhere. I don't think we have. Hoyt, Hoyt, Hoyt's gonna get us some bows, and mm-hmm. Jeremy's been uh, not this Jeremy. Jeremy Eldridge is the marketing guy. At, mm-hmm. Hoyt has been super. Um, yep. We're going to get them on the podcast here. Probably. I don't know. We're trying. So strategy, just so everybody's listening goal, at least in the off season is that we're going to try to bring in a really cool guest every, every other week. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have to tolerate us for a week and then you get Jeff. <laughs> then you have to tolerate us. Then you get somebody else. Wait, I, I'm a very special guest. Uh, right yeah. And yeah, thanks so for watching. Special us. in your own um, right. <laughs> <laughs> And so we, we kind of bring this strategy. So uh, obviously Jeff coming up next week, um jeremy eldridge is going to be on we've got we've got a bunch of guests lined up i think it'll be really cool to tie people in but yeah excited to work with those guys i mean that's something that we've backed for a long time our relationship with hoyt is really through a bone collector relationship as well you know we've worked with with michael and jackson nick and t-bone and those guys for a long time so we're Um, actually going to shoot the bone collector edition correct yep Mm -hmm. so that's what we'll be we'll be toting there rx5s you know what i love so much about these rx5s is that it's they're so dang similar to that bow I'm shooting now. Yeah, the old carbon spider. Yeah, I'm shooting that carbon spider, blacked out. Mm-hmm. This is literally just like a, a new mm-hmm. version of. It. I think they figured out that that the carbon riser just works out so well. It was good, man. There's so many things that that. So I killed. Um, 
I killed White Well with the Carbon Spider. It's a sex shooting bow, man. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't wait. I've never shot a Hoyt before. Oh, sorry, so. you you're not getting one. Um, what are you shooting now? <laughs> I'm shooting a Prime, Prime, right? and before that, I had a Bowtech Admiral FLX like 2010 model. I'm like type of guy that holds on to like bows for five, you know, six years. Mm-hmm. Oh, for some reason, by choice. Mm-hmm. Financially. financially but also yeah just i mean I, once i have it set in like this prime with you know the arrow setups and stuff that we did yeah. this year like well dude i think that uh there's nothing wrong with that i think i mean all of these are good bows like, think, at the end of the day like right, the, they're right. not making bad nobody's making bad bows i, right? I feel like i don't think i've ever had a flagship i've never i've never had a flagship like brand new bow ever so, so that's why my honest opinion yeah having not shot any of the other bows on the market. So mm-hmm. I think that Hoyt RX-5 is the best bow, period. Well, when we shot, uh, so we have an RX-4. At least on the market right now. We have an RX-4. Yeah. Um, and so obviously no ATA this past, this past year. So ATA yeah. of on uh, um, 2020, mm-hmm. right? You and I shot the RX-4s mm-hmm. at ATA. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Quiet smooth everything that i want in a hunting but i don't i don't shoot 3d target i don't care about that mm-hmm. i'm looking from a tree stand perspective axle to axle smooth drawing and quiet and that yeah. bow is money across the board the thing that i will because i'm converting from a matthew side right i've been shooting a triax for the last three years and i've liked that bow i've killed a lot of deer with that bow um it it is smooth um, the things I dislike about that bow, and again, not saying it's a bad bow because it it's done amazing for me. It's extremely heavy compared mm-hmm. to the t- carbon, and I found that out in, in North Dakota hiking with my Ooh. bow when Jared's got a three pound carbon yes. bow. Well, you yeah, actually found that out the first day we got them, and I was like, this thing's a brick. Yeah, <laughs> and then number two is is that the size of the cams on that bow are make me nervous when I'm at when I'm sitting at eighty yards and I have that thing at full tilt and I'm watching cam lean going like that just freaks me out a little bit. Uh, What's and, the axle to axle? Is it significately the Hoyt thirty? Be- thirty on that one. Yep, and it's true. My prime is the same way because we went elk hunting. We we did. 17 miles one day mm-hmm. or or almost every day and it was that thing is heavy the yeah. can't i mean from a tree stand bow yeah it's I think, not it's not ideal i at think all. those were 32 yeah they were whatever prime you're shooting well did the uh and that 30 that 30 to 32 range is is a sweet spot for sweet a tree spot. stand bow well, i shot a 34 prime for a while and that was big. well for a while i, think I might have I think I'm going to have the bigger one. The 34. For a while, they had the Hoyt Carbon Spiders, which have been always 30 inches axle to axle. They came out with the Triax, the Matthews Triax. Is that what it was? Yeah, that's what I'm shooting, the Triax. It was either Triax or the one before that's 28 inches axle to uh, axle. It was the, is it Halo? No. Oh, yeah, probably. Halon. That was two years Halon. Right? Halon was 20. Was it? 28. Triax and, was and, 30, 32. But in real life, that... Halon or whatever bow it was was actually taller because yeah. of how big the cams are. Giants, right? Huge. Bowtech went that same direction, and it's speed related, right? And I just and I get it, like speed is important, and th- but man, the the size of those cams just, it, you know, especially I mean, I'm gotten, you know, two miles through a, a wooded trail and stuff, I'm beating that thing off of trees or brush or something like that well like, yeah and even that strap into the backpack when you're yeah when you're going yep. mule deer or oh and i had mine i had mine come off the cam uh in columbus we're rut hunting i literally was putting it down and it was windy and it just kind of you know blew it right up against the tree and boom, 
And I was like, wow. what was that? And yeah. it came off the cam. And it's like, holy hell, like what, right. what happened? You know? And so uh, all in all, I mean, we've killed a lot of deer um, with Hoyts. And so I'm happy to get back to them, you know, happy to be supporting the bone collector guys in that venture too. Eldred is an awesome guy. I can't wait to get him on the podcast. And, you know, the one thing that I think from his standpoint, that'll be cool as a, as a change up here, as we get through some of these whitetail guys is Eldred is a Western hunter. Mm. That's what he lives to do. And so to get him talking about that Western side that the three of us are really just starting to get into, um, I think will be a really cool thing. The other be one, awesome. the other one I'll mention awesome. too, just from a, a guest side as well as the sponsorship side. Um, we mentioned a little bit, uh, and I've got a call with those guys here soon now. Uh, um, is uh, Buck Fever, right? So we're gonna be working with the Buck Fever guys on that side. That's something that we put in Buck last Fever. year. Uh, Ian and I filmed some some stuff up on the mountain with Buck Fever. Uh, really cool to see how some of that forehead gland stuff and and pre rut and rut formulas worked for us. The really cool thing is these guys have some amazing, um, what I would call, I wouldn't say the unknowns because they're known guys, but successful bow hunters. We've got a Troy Pottinger who's from Idaho who hunts backcountry public land whitetails. The dude's killing giants. And he attributes a lot of that success during the pre-rut and rut to use of buck fever. In the eastern part of the country, we've got a guy named Bob Folkrod, who Bob is a kind of a legend, has been affiliated with Bass Pro and Cabela's for a long time. Um, and Bob in PA in New York has killed a ton of big bucks with his bow. Again, attributing a lot of that success to the technology around buck fever, which the cool thing around buck fever is it's synthetic, right? And so with CWD and everything that's happening from a, from a deer piss standpoint, um, it's not going away. It's French for P. P, sorry. Uh, it's not going away. It's going to continue to be an issue. States are going to continue to outlaw um, actual natural urine, and synthetics are going to take the place. So to get these guys in and hear their background, as well as the guys from Buck Fever, to be like, listen, talk about the technology here, because they, they kind of broke it down to me. And hearing it from a biologist standpoint, I'm like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense, right? I need to know your thoughts on this thought that I've had here. Your thoughts on this thought? Yep. The spot in Kansas. Mm. All right. Which one? The knob. Mm-hmm. Above the ants there. Mm -hmm. Seems like that's the spot. It is. Do you think I can just beat that with buck fever? Because the problem with that spot is, is wind. Yeah, I think you can. Do you think it, I should? Mm -hmm. Should I just go and hang a stand on that knob and hunt Dangerous. it regardless of anything? Mm -hmm. And if so, should I also put some buck fever out or should I not? I would. I would be very close to the camera back facing that drop off looking out towards the pasture. Hmm. Yeah. Because I think that by the time they drop in behind you, you will have either decided to shoot them or not. Like right where that old stands at, mm -hmm. but I've been there a little more. Mm -hmm. I, I'm excited about it because like how I mean, at least for me, especially with all these cell cameras we got now, we have a we have know, a huge man. arsenal now. That this mock scrape, no sense, the forehead plus you know the ground scent, like that's that is the most important aspect. The mock scrape trail camera setup yeah. during October. And well, dude, and, and last thing, just and I don't want to be, um, we're not sponsorship. I don't, I don't say the, the W word in front of Ian and it hurt his ears. Um, 
whores. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but seriously, uh, and, and kudos, I, uh, I'm already screwing this up with the, the fan interactions. I can't remember who said it, but somebody asked like what camera setup we were using, right? right. And, and it was the fusion and HME solar panel that we had set up. Uh, so stealth, uh, made a, made a package with the, the fusion and the HME solar panel, 20% off. Wow. That's available right now on the stealth cam site. Dang. Because, I mean, dude, it makes sense, right? I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm so excited to look at our cameras and see full battery and full solar panel charge on all these cameras across the country that we're not going to get to. And they're just taking pictures and just cranking. Attend your life, for, for man. months. Attend I life. just set up for the first time because I asked Jared. I was like, hey, how 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 easy is this HME solar panel setup? Because I remember watching you do it in Illinois, yeah. but I never like paid attention plug it in, wrap the wire up. Is I remember it? you wrapped the wire You're up. You're done. Don't throw it out. I set it up right there. And what was it? Uh, I already had the first basher group. That was yesterday. Yeah, that's and awesome. Right 24 day. hours. And I know that's, I'm not going to have to touch that spot. But seriously, and, and listen, and I don't say this to like, hey, go buy them, but, but they won't last long because this is the, this is last year's Fusion that we paired it with um, for the solar panel. Mm -hmm. The new Fusion X, which you and I talked about, like I'm real excited about because there's a lot of big improvements coming on that. Yeah. Um, Mainly the image quality. Image quality yeah. and a new app. Um, well, because you can see even on that picture that uh, Weston sent, like it's not great. Like it's kind of whatever for right now, but yeah. they see that and they're going to make some improvements with they this have. camera. Yeah, they have. And honestly, every other aspect of this camera legitimately i think is pretty solid so if they can get that image quality up, done yeah you're you know. good and out. when you're switching to like the you know when you're switching to the the lithiums and, and you're you're trying to get longer battery life just mm -hmm. having that other aspect it's still just, gonna die though i mean at some point like i, I buy dead. a ton of double a lithiums at the end of the day it will still die sometime before you're ready for it to to actually die on you and they're dead yeah and so this this it just makes sense i think it's like I don't know what the camera is running for. Um, it was like 199 or 149 or something like that. That solar panel was like 50 bucks. Mm -hmm. No brainer. And it's a 12 volt in there as well, holding that charge. So those together are huge. So uh, the 100 people that are listening to this podcast, yeah, go get one. It's you. <laughs> oh, I thought you were pointing at Colton. I was pointing at the 100 <laughs> viewers. <laughs> Also, Colton, you should get some. We'll yep. get, we'll hook you up. Yeah, we'll hook you up. Uh, cool. Anything yeah. else? No, that's the the food plot kind of stage for us to have Jeff on next week and mm -hmm. a couple of new sponsors, which we're excited to. Yeah, man. We have been working. I've been shooting Hoyt for a long time. We've been using them. We've been oh, running yeah. these stealth cans for a long time, so you know, excited to get to, um, you know, help them promote their products and yeah. use use more of them. I'll leave you with this question mark. Uh, I'm gonna try to shoot a turkey in the face this weekend. The shotgun. What about no, no, with a bow. bow. With a gun. With a firearm. Second Amendment. Oh. Yeah, no, with not a... Uh, unless the kids decide that they want to go, of which then I'm just calling and they're shooting. I'm still disappointed. I, I think the turkey camp would have been awesome, but I know it's going to... Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Got plenty of time. Kentucky turkey camp. I got a cabin and property and turkeys. Two Two tags. Two tags. Mm -hmm. Two chains. I just want to go fish too. But I still think we could line up all three and we could all tag out and about, you know, because you can't do that, right? Kentucky, you can shoot back to back, mm. or do you have to wait a day? No, I don't know. 
I think you're overconfident, though. I don't know if there's that many. There's a bunch of birds, but they're going to... send a picture of, what was it, six longbeards? Yeah, in a, in a row. I bet they're in starting to break up, though, here real real soon. <laughs> yeah. Especially with bows. As they all come down, they all start attacking the other one. and just You would get ready to draw back and then I'd shoot it in the face with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking? I don't know. I just... I do want to go turkey hunting, but... I'd rather go fishing, I think. Yeah. Well, see, I do the turkey hunt till like eight, nine o'clock, then I go fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there's no birds gobbling, I'm like, all right, let's get out of uh, here. Yeah, I'd love to do both, but you can. I can. You can. I swear, I, I want to. It's a free country. Game. You can. I know. Yeah. I know. All right. Well, listen. Uh, appreciate <clears throat> everyone listening to this episode of the Hunter Podcast. Uh, if you haven't, go back check out Bill's episode. Really cool. Hear the background of Midwest Whitetail and really kind of where Bill's going with uh, his new venture. And uh, tune in next week when we've got Jeff Jeff Sergis on to talk a little food plot and habitat management and ultimately how do we kill bigger bucks. Yeah, man. It's going to be fun. Thanks for coming, Weston. Absolutely. Fun, guys. Peace out. Later. Take me home.